We are less than a week away from Chicago inaugurating a new mayor and a new city council that's younger, more progressive, and more diverse than ever. The council will also have some familiar faces and new positions of power. Southside Alderman Pat Dowell is expected to be named chair of the Finance Committee. She was a staunch supporter of Mayor Lightfoot, who decided to back Brandon Johnson in this year's election. And our first guest this hour, 35th Ward Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, will be city council floor leader and chairman of the zoning committee. He's here to talk us through the work to come. Hi, Alderman. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sasha. You have said, you know, that you'll be pushing for, quote, equitable uh, development, right? Equitable development that benefits everyone, all neighborhoods. What does that look like to you? Well, for me, it means attracting record investment, not just to the central business district, which we absolutely have to continue to do, but also making sure that neighborhoods on the south side, the west side, the northwest side, the southwest side see investment that is so desperately needed. And I know that that is at the core of Mayor Brandon Johnson's agenda to address the tale of two cities that has gone unaddressed for too long. Hmm. One of the biggest challenges there is is um, promoting development without driving residents, especially lower income people, out of neighborhoods that they've been living in for a long time, decades in many cases. Are there any good models out there, Alderman, that you could point to for how to do that? So one of the things we've worked on in the 35th Ward, which I'm very proud to have represented for the past eight years, is development without displacement. How do we ensure that we are attracting new residents while also protecting longtime residents, particularly those that are vulnerable? And what we have honed in on is a set of policies that protect working class families while at the same time ensuring that we are building and welcoming new businesses. One of those policies is community-driven zoning and development. Uh, Through that inclusive, democratic, transparent process in the 35th Ward, we've made sure that new residents, longtime residents, developers, community stakeholders all come together to discuss good zoning and land use policy in the community. Out of that policy, we've built 100% affordable housing developments right next to the Logan Square Blue Line stop. Mm -hmm. We've been able to accomplish community benefits agreements that ensure that new businesses that are opening up pay living wages and invest back into the neighborhood. So I think when you bring stakeholders together, Mm -hmm. you can have conversations that lead to win-win situations. Let's talk more about Logan Square. Big part of your ward, of course. The neighborhood's changed so dramatically over the last decade or so, right? What else can be done, you you think, to to ensure that more long-term residents aren't pushed out? Well, one of the things that we desperately need is just cause for eviction. That's a policy that will make sure that longtime residents can't just be, you know, kicked to the curb Mm. uh, and pushed out of a rental unit from one day to the other. Um, That is a policy that other cities have adopted successfully uh, that has led to housing stability. Another policy as well is building more affordable housing. We desperately need more units uh, that are accessible to working class people, and we need to continue to build those types of developments in neighborhoods that are facing major displacements, like Logan Square. And then we also need to protect uh, what some people call gentle density, our two to four flats. In the city of Chicago, two to four flats are the greatest single source of naturally occurring affordable housing to working families. These two to four flats, they are historic. They are central to what it means to grow up in a Chicago neighborhood. And so we need to enact policies to help protect those two to four flats so that they're not deconverted to single family homes. Mm. In Logan Square, I'm assuming rent prices are up? Rent prices are going up. They're going up across the city. They're going up across this nation. Now, they're going they're going up slower in Chicago in comparison to other markets. But nonetheless, our families are suffering. Um, so I think that, you know, many people have discussed rent control. That is something that I personally support and have fought for. Unfortunately, that requires a change in state law. 
Um, so it's not something that the city of Chicago could enact on its own. Something else you, you fought for. This was a plan to penalize developers for tearing down buildings near the popular 606 trail um, to build new ones, right? You had hoped that this could slow gentrification in Logan and, and the nearby neighborhoods. Remind us of the details of that proposal. Sure. So penalized was the word used by uh, reporter French Spielman, um, who I love and appreciate. But I wouldn't use that word. OK. Um, we need to protect two to four flats. And one policy that has been put in place in other parts of the nation is a demolition impact fee. Because when you demolish that two to four flat building and you put up a single family home, that has a negative impact on the environment. It has a negative impact on rental prices. It has a negative impact on our schools, on our businesses, because our schools and businesses need students. They need customers in order to thrive. Um, So we don't want to replicate suburban development in the heart of our urban settlement, right? We want to promote policies uh, that uh, lead to thriving commercial corridors and to, uh, you know, uh, school buildings that are full. So to that end, in uh, the Logan Square community, for many years now, an organization called Palenque Logan Square Neighborhood Association has been fighting for this demolition impact fee. And we were successful in putting up a pilot program in portions of Logan Square around the 606, where we said, one, if you got a two to four flat, under the zoning policy, you can't deconvert it down to single-family home. Okay. But two, if for whatever reason you are able uh, to deconvert the building or to knock it down, then uh, for every unit that's lost, you have to pay $5,000 that goes to the community land trust to then help make up for the loss of affordability. So it's not a penalty. It's simply recognizing that there is an impact that occurs when you demolish currently existing units. So we want to increase the number of units. We don't want to decrease the number of units that are available to our families. So this policy has been extremely successful. Uh, We are currently working with the Department of Housing to continue to assess this policy and figure out what are the next steps to strengthen this policy to protect those two to four flats and to protect what many people call that middle housing, right? We have single family homes. We have big skyscrapers. Then we have this middle housing, right? The two flats, the three flats, the four flats. In a lot of cities, those units are missing. Those types of developments yeah. are called the missing middle. So what but happened? We with have this? it here in Chicago. It's about protecting what we have. So what's the status of this? What happened with this uh, proposal? So the the pilot was implemented. Uh, it was extended. It's currently being studied. And uh, in the coming year, we're going to have to look at uh, are there tweaks that need to be made. Uh, or are there measures that need to be taken to strengthen So there's still the discussion happening around yes. it. Yes. So the so, policy is in place around the 606, and we're going to continue to look at it and see if it needs to be expanded or uh, or further uh, strengthened. Right. Yeah, because certainly, I mean, you, you you have to start somewhere, but it would be nice to see that elsewhere, right, spread throughout the city. You will be heading up the, the, the zoning committee now, so I'm assuming you're going to have much more power to, to influence whether plans like this do get off the ground, right? Is, there, is that specific plan... Um, it's still something that it sounds like you want to see this happen. So, um, you know, the city council on March 30th put forward a proposal uh, to reorganize the city council for the coming term. Now, legally, the new council has to decide what that structure is going to look like. Yeah. Um, but the council put forward a proposal on March 30th uh, with the expectation that once we knew who the mayor would be on April 4th, that the mayor would have input. So the proposal that has now been landed on by the mayor and the city council, uh, which has been dubbed uh, the Unity uh, Council Reorganization Plan, that plan is 80% of what the council proposed. The council said we want more committees. This plan does that. The council said we want parity. We want racial diversity. This plan is more diverse uh, and more broad than the proposal that passed uh, or was uh, proposed on March 30th. Um, And... Uh, the 20% that changed, that's the mayor's input. 
Um, and what does that input do? It brings the council organization more in alignment with the policies that he was elected to enact. Uh, more progressives in key committee uh, chairmanships, for example, uh, myself moving to the zoning committee. Yeah. So it is uh, truly a, a wonderful, I think, a great thing for our city to see the council and the mayor come together to say we're going to work collaboratively together. Uh, we're going to have a diverse city council that truly represents the entire city of Chicago mm-hmm. and is going to have some historic firsts in terms of committee chairmanships. And we're going to work to get things done to improve the lives of the people of this great city. Yeah, I want to talk just more about gentrification because it's such a powerful market force in in cities all across the country, not just here in Chicago. People with more means kind of just moving where they can afford more, right? And it's forcing lower income people out. Very much a systemic issue, Alderman. Is there something big, though, like something comprehensive that you think Chicago can do to ensure that this city and, and just each of our neighborhoods that they can be a home for everyone. Yeah. You know, we don't want to repeat the ugly history of segregation in this city. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the nation. And unfortunately, what we have seen with displacement is that neighborhoods like Logan Square that currently have diversity or neighborhoods like Albany Park or Rogers Park, they begin to be resegregated, right? As we lose migrant families, as we lose working class families, there is no silver bullet. There is no single thing that we can do It takes a whole host of policies. And I think that those are the policies in my new role as a zoning committee chair, uh, as a leader in this progressive movement. Those are the policies I'm going to be working with collaboratively with all stakeholders to move forward. How do we strengthen community land trusts to make sure that we have properties uh, that are held collectively by the community that continue to provide an affordable option for families for years to come? Property tax reform. Of course, that's going to require the county and the state. Mm -hmm. But that's another major uh, displacement pressure that our families face. Building more affordable housing, building more market rate housing. There's no question that the city of Chicago absolutely needs more housing. Um, But it also comes down to good jobs, right? You need to have a good paying job in order to be able to put a roof over your head. So it's going to take a whole host of policies. Uh, to address the issues of displacement in our communities. But I just feel so good that we have a mayor, we have a council, and now we have a council committee structure that lends itself to working with every stakeholder in the city to move forward those policies to make sure that we're moving towards housing as a human right. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking with Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa. He represents Chicago's 35th Ward, which includes parts of Logan Square, Avondale, Hermosa, Irving Park and Albany Park. And as he enters his third term in office, he is stepping into two very important roles. He'll be the council's floor leader and also the chairman of the zoning committee. So I want to continue that excitement you just (laughs) shared a moment ago. I I mentioned the council is becoming uh, younger, more progressive, more diverse, right? Uh, Record number of Latinos and Latinas are going to be on this new council, uh, as well as Asian-American representation this time around. Uh, as Block Club Chicago recently reported, the highest percentage of LGBTQ plus members of any similar body in the country as well. So what does all that mean for you? Yeah, lesbian, gay, bisexual, uh, queer, older people will now be uh, nine total. Uh, that is a historic high. Uh, we went from two Latinas on the city council to six 
And one of those Latinas uh, is going to serve as a committee chair. That is a historic first. Mm. Um, And we also... Um, have a record number of progressives that are serving. And these are people that were in the front lines of some of the most important progressive fights. People like Angela Clay in Uptown, who uh, was born and raised in affordable housing from a very young age, from the time she was a teenager, was on the front lines fighting for housing justice, fighting for educational justice, went on to become a leader in the nonprofit sector, organizing to improve the lives of her neighbors. And now she's the older woman for Uptown. And now she's going to play a central role in moving forward this progressive agenda uh, that she and Mayor-elect Johnson were elected to enact. So I'm really excited to get to work. Look, this is a big job that we all face now. And it's going to be a lot of work. Um, But I think that many hands make light work. And so having more progressives at the table with lived experience, Mm -hmm. with professional experience, uh, we're going to be able to, to get a lot of good things done. At the end of March, just before that runoff election, the the city council voted to become more independent from the mayor. Uh, You called the vote symbolic, and uh, you noted that the the plan would have to be ratified later this month. So would you like to see the the council further empowered as a legislative body? Is that what you... Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, Mayor-elect Johnson has made it clear that he is committed to working collaboratively with the city council to hear what do people want to accomplish in their neighborhoods? What do people want to accomplish for our city? And how do we all come together to get that done? Um, You know, I think when we talk about the word independence, we have to talk about to what end. The Verdoliac 29, the group of racist aldermen that fought Mayor Harold Washington, certainly they were independent of Mayor Harold Washington, but to what end? Mm. Um, So I, I think that it's important that we think about what does good governance mean? And, and what does it mean to have uh, collaboration or collaborative governance, co-governance yeah. in City Hall? So um, yeah, I mean, Chicago yeah. has a weak mayor system, but we know that in practice it's been it's looked more like a strong mayor system. Do you see that changing under the Johnson administration? Look, I think we have to come together as a city. Um, and I know that relations between the mayor's office and the city council are going to have to change because the past four years have not been good. Mayor Lightfoot, unfortunately, has not been a good partner to the city council. Uh, So many of my colleagues did not feel heard. Um, So many of my colleagues felt disrespected. And and so often, unnecessarily, it seems she was picking some fights. So there's going to have to be change in the relationship between the fifth floor and the city council. And the great news is, is that Mayor Leg Johnson is an organizer. He went down to Springfield and worked with elected officials to pass record legislation to improve our public schools. He worked as a county commissioner, working with Republicans and Democrats on the county board to move legislation, to move us towards uh, housing as a human right, to move legislation, to bring record investment to the south and the west sides. So he knows how to bring people together. It's how he got elected was building a massive coalition, a massive citywide coalition uh, to overcome the money advantage that his opponent had. And he's already begun to approach his role in Mm -hmm. the fifth floor in a collaborative nature. And you see that in this updated council organization plan, this unity plan. There are Vallis supporters. There are Johnson supporters. There were people that were neutral. There are white folks, brown folks, black folks. There are folks from every single part of the city because he understands that it's going to take all of us to get it done. So in terms of what occurred on March 30th, the reason I called it symbolic is that the state law stipulates that it falls to the new council to organize itself. Mm -hmm. So even though the council voted on March 30th on a council plan, that was symbolic because we were always going to have to come back in the new term with the new freshmen seated, with the new uh, duly sworn members of the city council and vote on a new plan. And there was always an expectation that this was a proposal we were putting forward on March 30th. Once we knew who was elected on April 4th, 
that mayor was going to have to have input. There were major questions that were left unanswered with the proposal on March 30th. How are you going to pay for 28 committees? Uh, who's going to serve on those 28 committees? Um, and so there was always an expectation that the mayor would have input. And if you look at the final plan that the council and the mayor have landed on together, because mm-hmm. we landed on this together, it happened because of ongoing discussions and collaboration between right. council leaders and the mayor. If you look at that plan, this is 80% of what the council proposed in terms of who's in leadership positions, in terms of who's leading what committee, in terms of the equity and the parity that's evident in the structure. Yeah. Um, so so I'm really proud of, of just how quickly we've been able to come together with the mayor to move forward a plan that's in the best interest of everyone. Well, inauguration is five days away. Sounds like you're all set to hit the ground running with the new administration. Well, we, we have to be set to hit the ground running because there are so many crises, the migrant crisis, yeah. uh, public safety. Um, you know, making sure that we are putting our youth to work. Um, these are major issues that are facing our city. Uh, and I know that the mayor-elect transitions team and all of my colleagues have just been working around the clock to make sure that come May 15th, we're in a really strong place to start leading and to start solving these issues. We'll leave it there. Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa represents Chicago's 35th Ward. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you. We're back now with more Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. A new chapter for Chicago politics is nearly at hand. On Monday, we will officially have a new person in charge when Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson drops the elect. And all 50 city council members, many of them new faces, they're going to be sworn in too. We just heard from one alderman who is sure to play a very big role in city council over the next four years. And now let's hear from two political watchdogs for their perspective as Chicago prepares to change the guard. Joe Ferguson is the former inspector general for the city of Chicago. Welcome back to Reset. Good to see you. Hi, Sasha. And David Greising is president of the Better Government Association. Hey, David. Hello, Sasha. So we just heard from Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa of the 35th Ward. I want quick takes from both of you. You first, Joe. Um, Clearly articulated um, a changed vision that's reflective of the incoming administration uh, writ large and reflective of actually the larger electoral landscape that comes out of the last election. Um, uh, But I didn't quite hear that we would have an independent city council. David? And just to double down on that, um, and this is by choice of the council, as your question pointed out, the council has the authority to make different choices than they made. In fact, they tried to. They had Scott Wegespack in the role that uh, Alderman Ramirez Rosa is stepping into. Mm -hmm. And so um, the council chose to be more aligned with Mayor Brandon Johnson. And um, uh, we will see if they ultimately establish some sort of independence, but the initial signs are they plan to be um, executing his agenda instead of a council agenda. Well, Joe, more specifically, you you told our Sun-Times colleague, Fran Spielman, that uh, naming uh, Ramirez Rosa the zoning chair, that it would, quote, be a cause for real concern on the part of the business and development community. There's the, the, the switch from campaigning to governing is a big switch. And there's a whole lot of speculation about how that's going to land and how things may be different. I think you don't really know until an incoming administration and leadership team begins to govern. Four years ago, we thought things would be very different with the present administration in that shift from campaign to governing. There there was not alignment. And so I think in fairness um, to, to, to Alderman Ramirez Rosa, in the capacity as floor leader, 
um, uh, he should be given the opportunity to demonstrate actually that um, he is uh, going to conduct um, the business of the mayor in the city council in a way that is reflective of the good for the city as a whole, consistent obviously with the vision. But um, at the same time, um, Alderman Ramirez Rosa, as an alderman prior to this and as a campaigner in the last election, was very, very much of a strident ideologue. And so we need to see that shift to actually understand where we're going to land. And I want to note that uh, Alderman Ramirez Rosa did say, you know, he says he's uh, he wants equitable development, that he's willing to collaborate with developers and that they shouldn't be scared off by the fact that uh, he does identify as a democratic socialist. What do you think, David? Well, equitable development can mean a lot of different things, and it it's a good thing for the city if we are paying attention, for example, uh, to the gentrification of certain neighborhoods that uh, prices people out of them. And that's what, what one of the concerns with, say, the Lincoln Yards development is and was, and uh, Mayor, Le- Mayor Lori Lightfoot reversed her position on that development. So... To talk about that, I think, is very important, and it, of course, aligns with the sort of thing that Brandon Johnson talked about. Um, let's see if, though, it it is reasonable enough that it doesn't get in the way of development that would be good for the business community, for example, or for economic growth in the city, mm-hmm. which sometimes when you start talking about equity, uh, you have to balance interests that sometimes compete with each other. Before I move on and talk about some other folks on, on the, the new city council, I got to ask Joe, what do you, what, what are your thoughts here on strident ideologue? What do you mean by that? Um, in, the, in terms of uh, Ramirez Rosa? Um, uh, the language and rhetoric that was used was divisive. Um, the language and rhetoric was that was used was very, very hard on the left and anyone that was not aligned with that vision with, frankly, um, the vision of the CTU Um, was cast in terms of being the enemy. That's a campaign. It's rough and tumble in Chicago. Governing is a big shift. And I think we're going to see very, very quickly, and to David's David's point, I think, um, equity is being bandied about and has been bandied about for a long time. It means different things to different people. So we're going to have to see how it's applied here, and balance is the key term. David, give us some other names to watch uh, on this new council. A lot of fresh faces here, also some established lawmakers. I'm, I'm thinking of Southside Alderman Pat Dowell, uh, who is uh, going to be finance chair. Yeah, and I should correct myself. I, Scott Wegespack was slated to be the finance chair, uh, right. and Pat Dowell moved in there. Pat Dowell has a great reputation uh, um, in terms of city finances, and uh, so that that's and she's somebody who was aligned with Brandon Johnson. So in a sense, that makes sense. Uh, Jason Irvin and budget would be. Another one to keep our eye on is going to have uh, a lot of significant, you know, some significant uh, responsibilities. Uh, we have to keep our eye also on those who are no longer a part of the power structure in council. Anthony Beal, Brandon Riley, uh, 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 Brian Hopkins. They're basically now after this latest reorganization mm-hmm. without committees and will be sort of backbenchers. They've been very prominent and uh, What are we powerful. losing there, essentially? Yeah, well, right. And so it'll be up to them to figure out how to kind of make their way and still be speaking not just for their wards, but for the interests that they more broadly represented back when they were uh, in the power structure of the council. Yeah. Joe, what would you say are the top issues that this new council needs to address right away? 
um, the ones that we all know from the election and from polling, which is public safety, crime, and our fiscal situation. Um, all of them are, are they're, they're all the top priority simultaneously. Yeah. And for a new mayor and a new administration, um, uh, the way that we have our electoral calendar places them in office at the start of the summer, the peak of the, of the violent crime season, and gives them a very, very short runway to master the budget and put together the first budget. So um, uh, to, to, to the question about the loss of maybe some institutional knowledge from the older hands, that is felt most immediately in mm-hmm. this type of moment. Um, but those are clearly the issues. And um, I think it's exacerbated in some respect on the fiscal front by the news a couple of days ago that the budget director, the chief financial officer, and the comptroller are all leaving and leaving immediately. There yeah. is no carryover. There is no continuity. It's all going to come fast. I want to go back to this talk about independence. Um, Mayor-elect Johnson says he's going to keep some aldermen in, in current committee chair positions. Uh, he says he's not cleaning house. Uh, he wants to unite the council, work with each member. Talk about some of the challenges he could face along the way. Well, um, he now has the leadership of council is aligned with him. It's unlikely that the type of pe- the Waggis pack in that group will will actively cause trouble for him in the same way, say, the Verdoliac 29 caused trouble for Harold Washington. Uh, he has shown an openness, as Joe was pointing out earlier, to listening to people so far and, and to kind of uh, tack away from some of the um, more strident rhetoric during the election. Yeah. So we'll really see some proof points in, in the early going. One I'm keeping my eye on is the creation of this revenue subcommittee that's supposed to build support for the $800 million in new taxes that candidate Brandon Johnson proposed. Mm. He's already backed off of uh, some of his initial proposals. He still is on the hook for $800 million that he promised uh, to voters that he was going to raise from basically business interests. And and so the leaders in council will, if this new revenue subcommittee, will have to build that support and I guess find what does support. That mean? What does that mean? Well, <laughs> well, I'll be watching with That's interest. what comes to mind for it, me. Yeah. It, 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 it's critical. So that $800 million is needed to do what it is that he ran on. Most of it has to come from Springfield. There needs to be a something of a political campaign to send this the message to Springfield. No, this is really this really matters to the people of Chicago, and to the to the governing leaders of Chicago. But here's the additional thing that I would be looking for, especially with the departure of the three top financial officials in the city. It is a well-established practice in an election year for a mayor, whether outgoing, running for re-election, whatever. Um, to state the deficit at a very modest level. (laughs) And within a matter of weeks, in the new term, we hear a fantastical number. And with the departure of those three officials, I think we should all be looking early in June for a new statement of what the deficit is, which then ties to the additional 800 that is needed for the above and beyond work. There's a big financial lift that's coming. And Mayor Lightfoot did went out of her way to exacerbate that tradition by saying, hey, I'm leaving you only like $85 million. Right. Her deficit that she claimed when she came in was $835 million, which was nearly twice what Rahm had right. said. She says it's Rahm a smaller budget deficit million. now. Yeah, she's saying, I've really cleaned house. And you know what? There's some truth to that. She and her economic team did do a good job in that area. So if it's only $85 million, then she really has left a gift for uh, Mayor-elect Johnson, if it's not, he's going to have a hard case to make yeah. 
given that he doesn't have yet an economic team in place to begin crunching the numbers and making that case. And, and, and just quickly, above and beyond that, um, Mayor Lightfoot baked in an assumption of the maximum amount of annual increase to the property taxes, uh, which Brandon Johnson said he would not yeah. raise. Well, leave us with this because we're, we're almost out of time. I'm curious your your quick take on, on how Johnson's been forming his administration, right? He's hired a number of folks. We know uh, like Richard Guidis uh, is his chief of staff. He's got relevant city experience. We don't know who will be in every key position just yet, but any announcements that you have your eye on, Joe? The law department is a really important one right now for which we have no signaling. Um, And um, uh, everyone, I think, understands that there's not going to be an appointment of a new police superintendent probably until very, very late in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we all look to the uh, interim appointment of Fred Waller and, and read into that. David? Uh, John Roberson, uh, who comes over from Cook County and formerly was um, aviation commissioner, seems to have a pretty good handle on how to operate the city. And so in, in his role as COO for the city, that that's, I think, an interesting appointment. We'll have to leave it there. That was president of the Better Government Association, David Grising, and former city of Chicago Inspector General Joe Ferguson. Thank you both. Thank you.